Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse 22 through the end of the chapter. When Paul had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we have opened your word, now I pray that you would be our teacher as you have promised to do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we saw that the Apostle Apostle Paul abruptly left Ephesus and set sail for Palestine. He landed, as we just read, at Caesarea. Then he went to meet with the apostles in Jerusalem. Then he he went back to his home church in Antioch after spending some time there, presumably. Uh, raising support, he left again on his third missionary journey. And he took a land route from Antioch up and around uh, into Asia Minor. And he went to visit the churches that he had previously planted on his first missionary journey. So he went through the area of Galatia and Phrygia and um, went to encourage those who had come to Christ approximately uh, six years earlier. So that's what's happening in Asia Minor, up in the more mountainous region. Down on the southwestern side of Asia Minor, uh, in Ephesus, a new preacher showed up on the scene. His name was Apollos. He was a Jew from the great city of the great Egyptian city of Alexandria. Listen to the, the scripture's description of him in verses 24 and 25. I'll pick up halfway through verse 24. He was an eloquent man. Competent in the scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And so he was um, quite a preacher. However, uh, in spite of his gifts, Apollos had a great deficiency in his understanding of the Christian faith. Look again at verse 25, uh, the last phrase that I did not read. It says, though he only knew of the baptism of John. Um, this means that although he was a Christian, although he knew who Jesus was, he was ignorant of the work of the Holy Spirit, if not also 
the person of the Holy Spirit. And there was a Christian couple that had come over from uh, Corinth with Paul. In fact, while Paul was living in Corinth, he had stayed with them. He was a tent maker, if you remember. And they traveled with him when he came over to, to Ephesus. And then Paul made that brief, just it seems like one Sabbath day stay in Ephesus. And then he left. And this couple, Priscilla and Aquila decided to stay and open up a branch of their tent-making business there in Ephesus. So they were there, and when they heard Apollo's preaching, immediately they saw his potential. But they also saw his deficiencies. And so they took him aside privately, and they spent some time with him explaining to him more fully uh, the Christian faith. Uh, presumably because his greatest deficiency was only knowing about the baptism of John rather than the baptism, the Christian baptism of being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, they took Apollos aside uh, to explain to him the, the Christian faith more fully. So verse 26 um, it says that they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And to Apollos' credit, he was very teachable and he became an even more powerful preacher. What was done, by, um, done for Apollos by Priscilla and Aquila was very similar to what was done for me. Uh, you've heard me speak of Mike Chastain and how he basically took me up under his wing. Um, he and his wife, Joanne, let me live in their basement for nearly a year. Um, as a result of my um, relationship uh, with them, uh, just like Apollos, I learned a great deal about the Christian faith. I learned particularly a great deal about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so what I thought I would do this morning is I wanted to try and make this passage about Apollos and his relationship with Aquila and Priscilla become more alive to you this morning by telling you my own story. Uh, as Mike Chastain took me aside privately and explained the way of God more accurately to me. I met Mike Chastain in the fall of my second year at Georgia Southern College. I had become a Christian about eight months earlier during my freshman year. And when I met the Lord Jesus, it was, it was revolutionary. Um, I loved the Lord Jesus, whereas I was only following my own way uh, you know off the college freedom and then I met Jesus Christ and it was like my whole life did a, an abrupt U-turn I was willing to follow Jesus Christ anywhere and I was drinking in his word in large doses I remember sitting um, sitting in my room and reading the book of James like as many times as I could in an hour and just reading those five chapters, turning around and reading them, and turning around and reading them again and again and again, because I wanted to know God's Word. And I would read for an hour or more at a time in God's Word. But I had no organized theology to help me understand the bigger picture of the Christian faith. And it was, it was, it was almost like I was filling and overflowing a very small bowl 
and the bowl was had many cracks and deficiencies. And so I wasn't able to do a whole lot of with this this knowledge that I was getting of the scriptures. Um and this illustrates my, my first point this morning, because even though there were many deficiencies in my Christian faith, my faith in Jesus Christ was solid. And the moment that I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, in Him as the only way, the truth, and the life, as I, when I cast my, my faith into Him as my Savior and my Lord, I became a Christian. And although Apollos had a deficient theology, he had Jesus Christ as his Savior. Christianity is remarkable in many ways. Uh, it's, it's a very intellectual religion. Um, Christianity encourages us to investigate the truth claims of our faith. And many men and women spend their lives doing just that. Many men and women have earned PhDs thinking and writing about the central truth claims of, of, of Christianity. And they will pursue these investigations um, generation upon generation. A whole new set of, of PhDs will arise and continue until the end of the world investigating the, the central truth claims of Jesus. Christ um, and yet they will never be able to plumb the depths of our Christian faith but yet on the other hand a two year old a very young two year old maybe even younger who is raised in a Christian home who hears about Jesus Christ whose parents sing hymns uh, and, and songs of praise about Jesus Christ to their young child as they are laying in the crib from the very earliest of ages can understand those central truths of Christianity that PhDs are looking into day after day, year after year, generation after generation and can understand those truths and place their trust in Jesus Christ. That is remarkable to me. A faith that a two-year-old can understand and be saved by can be the subject of the smartest people giving their lives to the pursuit of gaining more and more knowledge. I was no less a Christian before I went, uh, before I met Mike Chastain than afterwards. My faith was indeed deficient in many ways, yet my faith was placed squarely and completely on Jesus Christ. I trusted in Jesus Christ even though I did not understand a whole lot of other things about what it meant to be a Christian and had very little understanding of the Bible. And when I met Mike Chastain, he could see my faith and he could see my fervency, just like Priscilla and Aquila were able to see uh, Apollos' uh, gifts and his uh, fervency for the Lord. Yet he could also see my deficiencies. 
And so what happened is I, when I met Mike, I said, can you teach me more about the Bible? And he said, sure, let's meet at Kentucky Fried Chicken. So we went out to Kentucky Fried Chicken. He let me ask any question I wanted to about the Bible. And he would endeavor to ask it. And that's how we spent our first meeting together. And then we agreed to meet the next week there again at the KFC. And uh, when we sat down, he said, I let you ask all the questions last time. I'm going to ask you the questions this time. And I only have one question. And so what he did was he opened up his Bible to Romans chapter 9. And he asked me to do the same. We read it. And then he said, what does this mean? And after looking at that one chapter of Scripture, my life has not been the same since. If, you were, if you've never read Romans chapter 9, you are in for a surprise. Suddenly, um, well, I found myself saying... This can't possibly mean what this seems to say. In fact, I don't think I would have had the courage to believe what I was reading on that page had Mike Chastain not been there with me to to guide me and help me walk through it. Even then, I had to spend several weeks devoted to studying this chapter to figure out whether I was willing to believe it. And if you've never read Romans chapter 9... I would love the opportunity to walk through it with you. Romans chapter 9 threw me for a loop in my Christian faith. Suddenly I realized, even though I was reading the Bible and reading the Bible, I was just, I mean, I was drinking it in every day. I remember being in biology class when I was supposed to be paying attention. And rather, I was reading uh, the Proverbs and memorizing the Proverbs. And... um, Yet, I read Romans 9 and I realized I knew very little about the Bible and very little about God. But then as I studied, what happened surprised me even more. The Bible started fitting together. Everything that, that all these loose ends started being tied together and fitting together. And I surged forward in my knowledge of the Bible and I surged forward in my relationship uh, with God. And now... I cannot imagine facing just even one hour of my life without my firm belief in what God says about Himself in Romans chapter 9. I learned many things from Romans chapter 9, but what I want to focus on this morning is that our salvation is a Trinitarian salvation. However, I'm not going to be able to uh, open up Romans 9 and walk it through with you. You're going to have to do that on your own. Um, Rather, I want us to focus on particularly the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation in the next few minutes. But in order to do that, I need to say a word or two about the roles of the Father and the Son in our Trinitarian salvation. The Father, His role in our salvation is He's the planner. Um, He planned the whole of our salvation even before He created the world. He he planned in, in... smallest detail everything that would need to be done for our salvation in fact the Bible says he planned in detail every um, every, every event 
uh, in every circumstance of world history, from the beginning of the world to history that is yet to be unfolded, and He planned it all before the creation of the world. He determined every circumstance down to the smallest detail. He planned the good, the bad, even the seemingly insignificant details um, of every person's life. Even before the world began. I remember thinking as I was pondering all this and trying to figure it out and trying to figure whether I would believe it. I was sitting in a room and with a, a window and there happened to be these dust particles uh, floating around that I could see um, that normally you would never take any notice of. And I said, if this is true, then every one of these dust particles is where it is and it's being blown by whatever the air conditioning or whatever, wherever it's being blown, and God pre-planned that those small little insignificant details before the creation of the world. He not only he planned them, he predestinated them, he ordained, decreed them. That is astounding to me. And the Bible says that those things very, very clearly. I say that to prepare you for something more astounding. And that is God also elected who would be saved before the creation of the world. Our God is a sovereign God. Our God is in control of all things. And I know I've raised a number of questions this morning. But I need to keep moving. The Father plans and the Son accomplishes. Everything that the Father planned in our salvation, Jesus Christ came here to earth to accomplish. That cross that we have up here as the focal point, what Jesus came to do was to go to that awful cross, die upon it. And that cross is empty because our Lord Jesus was raised from the grave. Now, this is all symbolically speaking, of course. Um, the cross is the focal point of our faith because that's where Jesus... Uh, well, Jesus is actually the focal point of our, of our faith. Um, but he, went, he came and died on that cross to accomplish what the Father had planned. Uh, he came to earth... He became a human being all so that he could die on that cross and then be raised from the grave for our justification. And in so doing, Jesus accomplished everything we need for our salvation. And so trusting in Him, in His finished work, uh, and trusting in Him as our Savior is all that is needed for our salvation. The Father planned it, then Jesus came and accomplished it. And... But all the while, for us individually, something is happening behind the scenes that we may uh, have not been aware of when we came, became a Christian. I certainly was not aware of what was going on behind the scenes um, in my life uh, that God was doing. And it was actually not something that was going on behind the scenes. It was rather someone who was working behind the scenes, and that is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit 
came and took God's plan that Christ accomplished, and then He applies it to individuals. So Jesus took what Jesus, I mean, the Holy Spirit took what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago and applied it to me individually. I did not know it at the time, but God had elected me from before the creation of the world, and He had loved me in eternity past. And the Holy Spirit moved Brent Robinson, I've told you about him uh, before, uh, moved him to come to my room and read the Bible to my roommate and myself. And then the Holy Spirit moved me to, to find myself in the Scriptures. As I'm reading the Scriptures, I'm saying... Oh, that is me. That is me as it would describe a sinner. I would realize that the inner thoughts of my heart was being described right there on the the pages of Scripture. So I found myself in the Bible. I found that I was a sinner. And all this that I was doing and that Brent Robinson was doing and all these circumstances, it was really the Holy Spirit calling me. Um to God and then the Holy Spirit regenerated me that means that uh, before I became a Christian I was spiritually dead Uh, but God raised me to spiritual life listen to Ephesians 2 Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 4 describes me before I became a Christian verse 5 describes how I became a Christian and then the rest of the verse goes on and continue to describe me um, as a believer So as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That was me and I didn't know it. And then I got my verses wrong. It's actually verse 4 that describes how God changed me. Verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It was the Holy Spirit who regenerated me. It was the Holy Spirit who raised me from spiritual death to spiritual life. It was the Holy Spirit who gave me faith and repentance. I believe in Jesus Christ not because I was particularly smart, nor because I was a good person, nor even because I was deserving. God gave me my faith in Christ. God Help me to turn from my sins in repentance. Ephesians, again in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What's not of yourselves? What is the gift of God? Your faith, Paul is saying. Not by works, so that no one can boast. And at the moment I believed... God justified me. This means that God declared me to be righteous and without sin. The easy way to remember this word justification is a big theological word, but the easy way to remember it is that justification means just as if I never sinned. That's the way God sees me now in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus on the cross 
paid for my sins. And when I became a believer, He also gave me His righteousness. And it's the Holy Spirit who applied this, the complete work of Jesus Christ to me. Um, why, is God, why did God do this for me? The reason is He wanted me to become His child. He wanted to adopt me as His child. John chapter 3, verse, or 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on Him, uh, lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And so, God planned to save me. Jesus came and did everything needed for my salvation, and now the Holy Spirit is applying that salvation to me. And God knows that for me as His child, the best thing for me is to be like Him. And so the Holy Spirit continues to work in me daily, continues to make me more and more like Jesus Christ. And it's a slow process. Sometimes I fight Him tooth and nail. But this is what we call sanctification. And it's the Holy Spirit continuing to work. The Holy Spirit is helping me to grow in holiness. And so again in Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which He has prepared in advance for us to do. So even the good things we do as Christians is really the Holy Spirit working in us. The Holy Spirit also knows, or the Holy Spirit also is the one who keeps us near to God, keeps us from falling. We call this perseverance. Um, And when we die, the Holy Spirit will take us to be where Jesus is. Uh, We call this glorification. And all this is the Spirit's work. He applies the salvation that God had planned and that the Spirit and, and that Jesus accomplished. And so what I've worked through, if you didn't know it, was what in theology we call the, the Ordo Salutis or the order of salvation, how God uh, brings us uh, to himself and our salvation. I want to make three quick applications and we'll be finished. The first application is that um, baptism is a picture of the Spirit's work. Now, I know we have some Baptists in here, um, and I'm not trying to be in any way um, pugnacious or pick a fight or anything like that, but I see baptism and the the pouring upon the head um, as a picture of what the Holy Spirit did in Acts chapter 2. And the picture there is of the Spirit working in our life and applying to us the salvation that the Father planned and the Spirit uh, and the Son accomplished. Um, So I I see uh, baptism primarily as a a picture of the Holy Spirit's work. I see Jesus' work in it as well. But it's only as the Holy Spirit is applying Jesus' work to us. Uh, secondly, and this is um, something that I hope you saw at every point as I went through this order of salvation. Our salvation is all of grace from first to last. I thought when I became a Christian that I was 
somehow enlightened, that I had somehow chosen God. And it wasn't until almost a year later that I realized that my choosing God was really a result of God choosing me and of Him working in me. And I know today that I continue as a Christian. Continue persevering in the Christian faith. Continue growing in the Christian faith. All because God is at work in me. And I know I will be glorified one day. Because the Holy Spirit will take me to be where Jesus is. Our salvation is all God's work. Yes, we cooperate in it. But we only do so as God empowers and enables us to do so. And then thirdly, and lastly, the Holy Spirit lives in His people. And this is why I think, this is where I think we can be almost like Apollos at times and be a little deficient in our thinking about this. I mean, we, we know and confess the Holy Spirit lives in us. Um, we confessed it with the Nicene Creed. That's why I had us um, use that very Trinitarian confession of faith. But we forget to understand or remember what that really means for us. That because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are new people. We are new creatures in Christ. We have new desires. But also, we have God Almighty, the third person of the Trinity, living in us. That should encourage us when we are downcast. That should encourage us to keep going forward when we can't see the next step. God is for us. Who can be against us? God lives in us. Why should we be ashamed? Why should we uh, falter in our walk? God the Holy Spirit, in other words, the almighty power of God is at work in us and is bringing His promises to pass in our life. Let's pray together. Father, We often overlook the work of the Holy Spirit. Help us to to so remember Him and that He is at work in our lives that we um, would rely on Him that when we are struggling in our Christian life that we would remember that He will never leave us or forsake us, that He is in us. And Father, help us to be what the Apostle Paul calls us, more than overcomers, more than conquerors. Through Him who loved us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.